Hey, fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy at Floors to Your Home. Right, Brian Kahn? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just 80 cents a square foot. 80 cents a square foot, that's incredible. That's three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof starting under $350 at Floors to Your Home. And you can get it right now. We have over 1,200 styles in stock. Floors to Your Home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in Indiana. I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations. Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floors to Your Home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, speaking of celebration, both Evan Sider and I, Evan uh, Forbes, and he's got his own Substack column. We'll talk about that coming up in a minute, too. We love basketball. We love the NBA. Officially back last night with a couple of games. Here in Indy, back later on tonight at Gambridge Fieldhouse, Evan Sider is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Man, it's really interesting to see what can happen, turn of events-wise in a year. Last year at this time, it was, hey, this may really stink, but it's okay because you're going to blow it up and you're going to reboot, and that excites people around here because they're so used to losing, right? Now they just kind of fall in the category of, hey, we're going to celebrate, let's lose, we're going to get a high draft pick and you know all that. But then the Pacers came out and gave you a reason, even in a season, Evan, in which they didn't make the postseason, to be excited about what is to come, and that begins later on tonight. Yeah, certainly, John, and thanks, guys, for having me on. And talking like we did last year, I mean, heading into the season, I think even internally the Pacers front office thought we might be in the Victor Wembanyama race. We might win 20 to 25 games, have a really rough year. That was really known for a few months heading into the season, but then all of a sudden you see Tyrese Halliburton emerge into a superstar type of player. Bennett Matherin taking leaps forward in his game as a rookie. Andrew Nembhard shining. Buddy Hill having a career best year, as did Miles Turner. And now you added more depth to the mix. You had Bruce Brown. Hey, who'd you, who'd you just say right there? What was that name? Who? Miles Turner, John. Miles who is Turner. that guy? I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Go ahead, Evans. No, no, Miles, My, honestly, you saw last year, great fit next to Tyrese Halliburton as a potential 20-10 and 10 type of player. And then you add in Bruce Brown in the mix. You add in Jairus Walker. Might not be in the rotation just yet, but he looks like a very good piece to the puzzle here in Indiana. I think the expectation this year, John, is should be 40 to 45 wins. And if all goes well, if they stay healthy, this Pacers team did show last year too, even with not as much talent as they have on this year's roster, that they can win 40 to 45 games behind on the back of Tyrese Halliburton and see how this goes. So I think this Pacers team is going to be very, very exciting to watch. I think fans are very excited for that reason, for sure. Evan Sidery, I uh, mentioned this. You're with Forbes now, and you have your own Substack column, correct? Mention that yeah. and, and how people can get to your content. Yeah, so you can find me on Forbes. I'm going to be contributing Pacers co- coverage over on Forbes, our sports section over there. I'm also going to be covering the NBA at large, too. Tony East also does great stuff with Forbes and that side, too, so I'll be helping out sometimes over there on Forbes. But then also my Substack, which is sourcessaid.substack.com. It's going to be my place where I type in all my NBA information all season long, my columns, my statistical deep dives, for example, on a lot of NBA teams, covering the whole league as a whole there. So that's sourcesaid.substack.com. So it'll be a lot of fun to kind of do my own thing as well on top of that. So it'll be a really, really fun season. 
All right. What's your expectation? I said 45 wins for this group, and some have suggested that that may be a little bit too robust coming off a 35-win season of a year ago. What say you? I don't, actually. I think I'm actually in your camp here, John. I think 45 wins is what my baseline is going to be this year. I think they're a 45 to 46-win team, health-dependent. I think if Tyrese Halliburton misses time, that does change the equation an awful lot, as we saw yeah. last year. This team, the offense without Halliburton in the lineup is just drastically different. It's probably too much to overcome. But if Halliburton can stay healthy, if Miles Turner can stay healthy as their rim protector, and you can stay relatively healthy all across the roster with guys like Nemhart and Heald and the rest of them, I think it's a legitimate – surprise team in the NBA this year, John. I think a lot of people are still sleeping on nationally because if you have Bruce Brown and Buddy Hill as your fifth and sixth options on offense, I mean, this could be a really deep team. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. That if Tyrese Halliburton can be a 25-10 type of player, and Benedict Mather could take another step forward, and Miles Turner could be an, an all-star type of big man. Because he did show last year he could be an 18-20 point per game scorer, great four-spacer, great defender. If he can play like he did last year, John, the, the ceiling is really limitless for this Pacers team. And they're, I think, a year ahead of schedule here, too, because if they're building how they are now, I think by the time next year rolls around 2024-2025, this should be a legitimately fortified Eastern Conference contender moving forward. Well, and and you're right about this. Injuries play such a significant role, and this team was completely derailed when Halliburton went down a year ago. Did you think that that was, at the very least, maybe a play-in possibility had health remained in Halliburton, or at least certainly better than what we saw as we entered the new year this past year? Certainly, yeah. I think if Halliburton would have stayed healthy and they would have avoided that stretch with that, I think they won one out of 13 games for a couple-week stretch there. I think they probably would have been in a 9 or 10 seed and barely squeaked in the, in the playing tournament. would have helped out that young group a little bit. But I think now when you had that stretch where you went onto that cold streak, you got into the lottery, got a legitimate, I think, bona fide type of defensive Swiss Army knife in Jairus Walker. I think it all worked out for him in the end. I think Jairus Walker will have a slower development because I think uh, tonight especially might not be in the rotation at all just because how deep this roster is. But I think moving forward here, if you can develop Jairus Walker and then you add him into the mix later on this season, that's just another player you can add into an already deep rotation. So I think looking back on it, it was a tough thing to do for Pacers fans having that tough stretch, but I think it worked out in the end for him. Evan Sidery of Forbes, and uh, certainly you can find his work on Substack, uh, covering the Pacers and the NBA with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So you mentioned what we view right now as depth on this Pacers team. Who do you think is, is going to suffer those consequences early on here and get squeezed out of the rotation? It really feels like, to me, it's going to be probably one of those young bigs, either Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson. I think based off preseason action so far heading into tonight, I would imagine that Isaiah Jackson's the one squeezed out here. I think Jalen Smith did a little bit better in preseason than Isaiah Jackson did. I think we saw last year in small spurts, Daniel Tice is a veteran for this rotation, is a good option as well. So I would probably lean towards Isaiah Jackson. We saw it last year where he was kind of getting fizzled out of the rotation even more. But now heading into this season, I think he's probably the third, fourth big man on this roster, which is unfortunate for him because he needs that time on the court. But the Pacers are trying to win. I think Jalen Smith offshoot better shooting, and obviously Daniel Tice come up a great FIBA 
tournament for Germany too. So I would say Isaiah Jackson on top of that, I would say Jordan Wara as well. You know, he had a great stretch for Indiana last year. We remember that 20, I think it was 24 points in the first quarter against the Atlanta Hawks last year. I have a hard time seeing him getting any minutes now with Matherin, Bruce Brown, Buddy Heald staying on the roster too. And then TJ McConnell. I, I don't know if we'll see him uh, off the rotation tonight after Andrew Nembhard having that kidney stone, so they might ease him back into the mix there. But I will be very intrigued, John, to see how they balance Nembhard and McConnell because I think they want to see Nembhard kind of run that second unit here. But as we all know, TJ McConnell is that scrappy guy who's going to be really hard to take out that rotation. So Evan Sidery joins us. How do you think this Buddy Heald off the bench thing is going to work? And, and not in terms of Buddy not being happy with it, but in terms of making sure, because I've, I've said this and I've emphasized it, they need to get better defensively on the perimeter. But I think what they need to do more than that is maintain their scoring prowess that we saw of a year ago. I don't think you can lose any of that because I don't think you're going to make it up enough on that defensive end. So how do you think Buddy Heald coming off the bench, what does he do to that that scoring that we saw a year ago with Buddy in the starting lineup? I think if he's fully bought into this role, John, I think he'll actually be a fantastic fit as the Pacers' sixth man because when you look at that second unit there, you have Nemhard, Aaron Neesmith, maybe Jalen Smith or Daniel Tice, maybe Ben Shepard a couple minutes here and there, but – Buddy Heal, with the way this roster constructed, he's going to need about 15 to 16 points per game off that bench for this Pacers team to be successful this season because there is not a lot of offense in that second unit. It's going to be a lot of Buddy Heal, and I think Buddy is going to love that role because he can take 10 to 12 shots a game, get his points, get his threes up. I think that's the way it's going to be. He's going to come in as a sixth man, play a lot of minutes alongside the starters in Matherin and Halliburton on the wing. But also, I think we're going to see him play a lot of minutes in the second unit just to be that energizer for that unit because there's not a lot of offense there. It's a lot of defense, a lot of potential with guys like Jairus Walker, Jalen Smith, potentially in that front court as well. So I think if Buddy Heald's completely bought in, John, I know the contract situation is still a little murky right now, but I think he's a player that should be getting 30-plus minutes per game still and really play a huge role for this team this year. You mentioned Walker and then Shepard as well, the two first-round selections back in June. Minute-wise, what's your expectation tonight and then as we muddle through here the early portion of the season? Tonight, honestly, I would not be surprised if neither one play. Just based off this rotation, how deep it is right now. The second unit, like I just went over there, you're going to have Buddy Heald, TJ McConnell, Andrew Nemhart, Aaron Neesmith, one of those centers and Smith and Tice, or maybe Isaiah Jackson there as well. That's already four or five, six guys there on top of the rookies. And I think we saw last year Rick Carla. He will take his time, even if the fans don't like it, with Bennett and Matherin and how he was easing him into the mix last year. I'm going to see it on even more so a bigger scale this year with Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard because of how deep and talented this roster is. They can be the 11th, 12th guys currently. And then once December or January rolls around, they get their feet more wet in the NBA. I think then you'll see probably Jairus Walker get about 15, 20 minutes per game. And as the season progresses more and more and more, those guys get more action. And I think maybe the deadline in February, John, if they do move Buddy Heal, if they do move another player on this roster, that could be when you fit in Walker and Ben Shepard in the Knicks for about 15, 20 minutes per game consistently. Obi Toppin. It's interesting because it, it seems like when he was in New York, most would suggest from the outside looking in that he wasn't utilized well enough. But others would suggest that he just didn't do what Tom Thibodeau wanted him to do because the Knicks were winning and they were winning without a lot of his, his deep 
participation. Is this going to be a situation to where, especially at the end of the year, he put up big numbers, and we saw him put up big numbers against this Pacer defense. Is that going to be transferable? Do you think that this is going to re-spark him offensively, or was that late season a year ago offensive output more about the situations and the teams in which he was up against? I'm glad you brought up Obi Toppin there, John, because I think he's one player I haven't touched on just yet. I think he's going to have a huge, huge year for Indiana because Tyrese Halliburton, we saw it last year at Miles Turner and with the, some of the young guys in Mathurin and Nemhart, he makes players on offense better, whether it be in any situation. We saw Miles Turner last year get the easiest shots of his career because of Tyrese Halliburton. I think now with less pressure on his shoulders in Indiana, Tom Thibodeau wanted Obi Toppin to play defense. That was never Obi Toppin's game. He's a subpar defender at best. He'll give you some highlights here and there, but he's really just a, a run and go offensive player. And that's exactly what the Pacers wanted in Obi Toppin, not a guy that's going to be defense first, a guy that's offense first. And I think when he had those minutes last year in New York, we saw the flashes of a potential 15-plus point-per-game score. I think we're going to see that this year. I think Obi Toppin will give you about, about 12 to 14, potentially 15-plus points per game on good efficiency. I think I would, I would be very surprised, John, if this kind of flops and be topping here because the way this is set up here in Indiana for him to just run and go and transition with Tyrese Halliburton, and he's pretty well insulated next to Miles Turner as a rim protector. I think it's a perfect fit for Obi Toppin. If it's not going to work in Indiana, I don't think it'll work anywhere else for Obi Toppin. So I think this is a career resurgent type of year for Obi Toppin. The Pacers will look back on and say we made the right move there. Emmett Sidery joins us. Andrew Nimhart, will we see him – all over the place as we did most of the time when he was a rookie or will we see him more focused in on coming into the game situations and running things at the point? I would hope that I would say that Nemhart should be the primary point guard, even though we did see last year an awful lot. He can play off Hal Burton as an off ball player. He can play off TJ McCollum, the second unit as well. I would hope for the Pacers' sake that Nemhart continues to develop as that backup primary initiator because we saw in flashes last year when Halliburton was out, Nemhart would have these 20 and 10 type of games and really open up a lot of eyes around the league. So I think Halliburton, or excuse me, Nemhart is a player to watch later into the year as he uh, further gets away from his kidney stone. They'll probably take it easy with the next couple weeks, honestly, John, and let McConnell take the reins about 20-plus minutes per game, let, let Nemhart get his feet wet a little bit more as he returns from injury there. But I do think eventually, like later on, about a month or two from now, I think we might see T.J. McConnell out of the rotation and kind of letting Andrew Nemhart run the show and get 25, 30 minutes per game pretty consistently. Man, Evan, I scored 11 points in the second half of a high school game after passing a kidney stone at the half. Come on now. Get him out there and let's go. Let's go. <laughs> just, I'm just joking, honestly. Uh, Evan Sidery joins us. True story. I'm just joking as far as uh, I know. The pain threshold is kidney stone-wise because I've been through it is absolutely ridiculous. So know what the dude is going through for real. We saw him get extended earlier this week. What is the definition of Aaron Neesmith and his role with this team? I think he's a versatile defense first wing that can hit around 37, 38, potentially 40% of his three-pointers. And that is a very, very valuable rotation player in the NBA today. Guard multiple positions, can shoot from three. He can fit in any role. He's not a player that's going to ask for a lot of touches either. I think he really signed a contract, honestly, John, that's way under his value. I think the Pacers got a bargain on that contract at $11 million per year through 2026-2027. Neesmith's a player to me, only 23, 24 years old. He's going to develop, I think, into a reliable seventh, eighth man off on this Pacers team, be a versatile piece that they can use in multiple positions, like the two, the three, or the four. 
And we saw in preseason, Neesmith looks way more confident offensively off the bounce. He does it off the dribble, too. Just not just a spot-up guy anymore. So I think Aaron Neesmith's a guy to me, John, where if he gets that more confidence, which seems like he certainly has offensively, I think he could be a 10-plus point-per-game scorer, be a reliable defender into the mix, too. I, I would love to see Neesmith play alongside Bruce Brown and Miles Turner because that would be a really fun trio of defenders on the court together. So Evan Sidery, again, at Forbes and Substack. He's got his own column there, too. Uh, writing regarding the Pacers and the rest of the NBA. And I've said this, you know, early season-wise, I really want to see the Pacers hopefully be able to take advantage of the schedule. Oftentimes, you know, flippantly made, but the opinions are, you know, October, November doesn't matter, the NBA. But I think for the sake of a team that that I believe is going to make a 10-game jump, I mean, it, it, I'm skeptical sometimes and wondering why I went that far but I think it's very important to get off to a good start considering how their schedule looks. Do you agree? And how about getting their feet wet against a transitional situation in Washington and the Wizards? Scoring talent at a couple of positions, but transitional nonetheless in D.C. Yeah, the schedule early on for Indiana really sets up well. Like you mentioned tonight with the Wizards, it's going to be a track meet type of game, and it's going to be a lot of offense and little to no defense for either team. And hopefully for the Pacers' sake, that's a lot better because they added in all the players they did to improve their defense. But for Washington side of things, John, it's going to be a very dysfunctional group over there as far as defense goes. It's going to be Jordan Poole chucking up 25, 30 shots a game, same for Kyle Kuzma, and a lot of young, unproven guys there. So I think with the way the schedule opened up tonight for them against the Wizards, plus the next couple of weeks here too. I think this Pacers team could be off to a plus 500 start and really kind of open some eyes around the league here. So I think it's really critical for them to take advantage of this next couple of weeks stretch because the more we get into November, December, early parts of January, that schedule gets a little bit tougher for them as well. All right, Evan, I want to look around the Eastern Conference right here. And, you know, obviously the, the major move was what Milwaukee did to pick up Damian Lillard, although when you lose Holiday and Holiday going to the Celtics is probably bad news because you know how fortified that's going to make an already talented team. But when you, you look around from the Celtics to the Bucks to the Heat to the Knicks, um, Cavaliers as well, what, what do the Pacers factor in, in your opinion? So I think I'm a little more bullish than most in the Pacers this year. I actually had the Pacers completely avoiding the play in tournament, John. I have them winning 45 games and being the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference this year. So I have them right behind that group of five teams you just mentioned there in Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Miami, New York. I think Indiana takes that sixth seed there and avoids the playing tournament altogether. I think that's the way this team's developing, the way Tyrese Halliburton has looked so far in his career, and the way they've really built this team this offseason – it's health-dependent, John. I really think that me and you are on the same page here, being more bullish than most, because this team, I think, is well-constructed right here, right now, especially if those young guys like Mather and Nemhard and Neesmith take steps forward like we think they do this year. They should be a 45-win team. I think the ceiling is a little bullish for some, but I think 45 wins, I think, is realistic if we see Tyrese Halliburton become a superstar type player that we all expect and those young guys take leaps forward here. So I think they're going to be a 45-win team and be a 16 year conference. It really surprised a lot of people this year when we look back in April. So you're counting on them. You know, obviously you're looking at the Bucks, the Celtics, um, the Knicks, the Heat, the Cavaliers. So and the Sixers would be in there somewhere too. So which which of those six teams, including Philadelphia, which one do you think that they're going to make a jump over? See, I put them above 
this might look foolish later on, but just with how chaotic it seems right now in Philadelphia with James Harden in that situation, if they get off to a slow start, just Joel and beat ask for a trade in February. Like that's a legitimate option that could be on the table for them because it's been such a rough, rough offseason for the Sixers. It's hard for me to really gauge where they're going to be at, whether it would be a top three, top four seed, or if they just get off to a slow start and kind of sell the farm here in February. Either direction wouldn't surprise me. So I would say Philadelphia tops listening as far as uncertain teams the Pacers could jump there. But I'd also factor into the mix as well Cleveland because I'm still not fully sold on them just yet. We saw flashes last year of Evan Moby and Jared Allen being a dominant front court. But if that if Evan Moby doesn't take a big jump forward here, I think Cleveland could be a 45-type of win team next to Indiana. So I think those are the two teams you could watch out for that they could jump. But if they get anywhere near 45 wins, John, I think that's a huge, huge, huge win for this team and kind of shows you how close they are to really competing moving forward. Could you at all make an argument? Because I would, but I'm incredibly anti-James Harden, especially right now. Could, could you look at this and say, you know, Philadelphia is going to be better because that jackass is not in the picture? Yeah, that's a fair assessment just because you don't know what James Hart could do. James Hart's done this now in Houston. He's done this in Brooklyn. He's doing it now in Philadelphia where he, when he wants out, he really makes a fuss about it, and it really kind of detriments the whole team in the process there. And for a team like Philadelphia, that's championship robust this season with the pressure on them with Joel Embiid and his future there. It's just a worst-case scenario for Philadelphia right now. I think James Harden's kind of proving that these next couple of years, if he has the next couple of years left in, on his, in his career, I think it's probably his last stop in the NBA. It's probably Philadelphia and whatever happens next because I think a lot of teams are kind of realizing that he's not worth the headache anymore. What about the Atlanta Hawks? Still a lot of talent there. A little bit of success that we've seen, certainly in past years. They going to uh, take a, a drive up or maybe put it in reverse a little bit this year? Yeah, they're one of my other teams in the East that I'm really kind of wait and see on just because I think Trey Young is a, a star point guard in this league, but we've seen throughout his career he hasn't really won much. He had that special run in the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years ago, but this Hawks team has underperformed ever since then. We saw them trade John Collins for pennies on the dollar just because he wasn't a good fit with that team anymore. I think it's a huge year for Atlanta to see whether DeJounte Murray and Trey Young work together. If not, I would not be shocked at all if they split that duo up here in the offseason, the next offseason, because there's not a lot of direction in Atlanta right now. It's a, it's a huge, huge, huge year for them. Quinn Snyder is running the show there now in Atlanta. So I think if they have a, a down year there for the Hawks, I think we're going to see some retooling around there in Atlanta. They're a team to me I'm a little bit lower on the most. So Evan Snyder rejoins us. We were watching the games last night, and what occurred to me, and, and I'm assuming it'll look different, it'll look different. Even with Phoenix winning in San Francisco last night against Golden State, uh, they didn't play – with Bradley Beal, and then Grayson Allen was thrust into the starting lineup. So I know that once he gets back, that's going to look different, and that is you know, an elite-level score in the NBA. But what occurred to me last night is that when you go through the long haul this season, I think two things with those two teams we watched are really going to be a struggle, and that is the, the lack of height is going to be detrimental again for Golden State, I mean, to what level? I mean, you're still going to probably go a couple of rounds into the postseason, but you catch my drift on that. And then just the lack of quality bodies for Phoenix. You have three of the best players in the NBA, but even last night you, you saw Eric Gordon step up. You, you saw Kogi step up. I don't know if you can count on that. I just don't think they have enough guys on that team moving forward after watching at least one game last night with both of those teams high up in the West. But I think that as we move along in the season, we'll be flawed. 
Yeah, I think, honestly, I'll start off with Phoenix there, John. I'm actually really high on Phoenix this year, just based off of Devin Booker. I think he's, he's my pick. I understand. Uh, he's, he's a 30-plus point-per-game scorer in this league. I think he showed last night he's going to be probably one of the best players in the NBA this year. So I think Phoenix will be fine. The one worry to me is going to be Kevin Durant because he's, he's shown consistently now the last couple games for Phoenix in the postseason now last night. He's been pretty inefficient. He's not looking like the same old Kevin Durant. And if that's the case, if he ages out pretty quickly here, that might be a disastrous trade for Phoenix later on if Kevin Durant ages out quicker than expected. But I imagine KD will snap back into it. Bradley Beal back in the lineup there, too, and they'll win 50-plus games. I am a little more concerned about Golden State. Like you mentioned, John, the lack of size last night. Yusuf Nurkic dominating you is just never a good thing to say. And that's what happened last night for them was Nurkic getting 15 rebounds, 15 points. He was a monster down there. And if Yusuf Nurkic is going to do that, Nikola Jokic is going to have a field day against him if they ever go against him in the postseason. So I think Golden State is a team to me, especially with that Chris Paul contract, which is an expiring contract. I would not be stunned at all if they kind of maybe move some of those young guys in Kaminga, Moody, attach that to Chris Paul's contract, and kind of go for a big man. And, and, and I would not be surprised if that guy was like a Carl Anthony Towns, who was not a good defender. But that's the kind of guy to me, or like a Pascal Siakam, one of those guys, where you need to go out and make a big move for this Warriors team because we're seeing already Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, all their mid to late 30s now. This, this probably is the year to push your chips all in through the Warriors because it seems like to me this is probably the last year or two of this run. And if you want to make an aggressive push for a Carl Anthony Towns or a Pascal Siakam, I would not be stunned if Golden State did that. Now, I'm going to be interested to see Sacramento if they can make the same type of run with that group that they did a year ago. And my jackass rule here is, one, uh, the, the Clippers may fade anyway, but will uh, fade even more if you bring in a jackass like James Harden. And then the Grizzlies got rid of one jackass that they needed to in Dylan Brooks, and you got to make sure that one of the best players of the NBA in John Morant, once he returns, is not one. So the jackass rule, I think, also applies out west as well. Evan Sidery with us. Forbes, and then your Substack column as well, too. Talk about it. Yeah, my Substack, one more time for everybody, sourcessaid.substack.com. I'm going to be writing NBA coverage over there all season long, some columns, some deep dive statistical analysis. So I'm going to be doing all that over there, plus Forbes as well. So I'll be heading to the game later tonight. It should be a fun one. So appreciate it, John. You got it, Evan, anytime, brother. Thank you. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline, we have a lot to get to considering tonight the opener for the Pacers. Pacers and the Wizards uh, coming up Sunday. You got the Saints and the Colts. You got Jim Mercer tweeting late last night, which I found very interesting. And uh, Michael Pittman Jr. earlier today 
justifying. Now, before we get into that, there was a commercial for L.D. Smith Plumbing, Kev, that you may have heard while you were on hold a little bit earlier. Kevin Bowen of the Morning Wake Up Call with KB and Andy joins us now. Um, I mentioned that I take endless showers. Uh, I take long and incredibly hot showers. How long are you in the shower? You guys don't take one in the morning. You guys come in dirty, right? Because you guys both always wear hats, so you don't wash your hair. You just come in dirty? Correct. I bet I've showered before a morning show. Mm, boy. Well, I, I, outside of what I'm teaching IU, probably uh, five times in my life. I shower to get loose. I bet I stay in my shower an average of 35 minutes a time. Gosh, are you serious? What the hell is your water bill? I live on a well, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have known that. I take showers in four minutes and 27 seconds. Do you really? Well, that's not nearly enough yeah. time for me. You know, by the way, I don't know where Todd Meyer is, but right now he is someplace going, please don't take this conversation where I think you're going to take this conversation. That's what Todd's <laughs> saying right now. <laughs> I got to get loose. I got to get loose in my shower. Ah, man, I'm just doing a lot of things. I mean, it's just like Kramer in Seinfeld. You know, Kramer wanted to do everything inside a hot shower, and that's me too. I'm just like that. Gosh, that is, uh, wow. Yeah. That's outstanding. I hope my well doesn't run dry one of these days. So that's my only only flaw, I think, in that particular logic right there. But, yeah, about 35 minutes. I get good and clean, Kev. That's what I do. Get in there with the Nivea. Get soap all over me. All right, the uh, Selsun Blue $10 shampoo on top of my head. I'm getting clean. That's what I'm doing. Well, that hey, is, I, I, bet Swe- I bet Swebo takes like one shower all week long, doesn't he? That's about it. <laughs> Come on now. you got a young, a very young child there. <laughs> oh, man. All right, let's get to the real stuff here. You were in the locker room with um, Michael Pittman Jr. I, I, I said this earlier. I thought that he handled that exactly how I thought he would handle it. And a lot of people suggested, well, clearly his rep, his agent got to him. And I wanted to correct him and say, no, that's Michael Pittman Jr. right there. That was 100% legitimate as to his own response in his own words to what took place after that loss in the locker room on Sunday. You agree? Yeah, I thought he handled it absolutely perfectly. Um, and, 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 yeah, I kind of side with you on it, John, that I I, you know, I don't care if his dad, hell, a 10-year veteran in the NFL, got a hold of <laughs> agent, yeah. whatever. Um, I think at the end of the day, this is a guy that is just a highly, highly competitive individual. And I know, you know, maybe you could say that about everybody in the NFL, but I've always felt like there's a little diva to him at wideout, and I know Diva is kind of a prerequisite oftentimes to play that position. I, I just don't feel like he's wired in that way. I've I've said it to you, John. I've said it a million times about Michael Pittman. There's no USC pretty boy in how he plays the game, and I think you see that. If you just watch him block, if you watch him – I mean, hell, if you watch him go after a fumble, just like little stuff like that, uh, you watch him make a tackle after an interception. The dude lays it all on the line, and you know is he the is he the perfect wideout? Is he a you know top fifteen wideout in the league? Probably not, but he's a guy that's an important piece to this team, and I think you need to retain him. And um, I thought again, I, I I thought he handled it really really well. Um, you know, hindsight's very twenty twenty. You know, when you look at thirty eight points, you look at four hundred fifty yards. I even think he probably looks back on it and thinks. 
you know, when I make a comment like that, it, it's downgrading Josh Downs' 125-yard day. It's downgrading, you know, Jonathan Taylor's 120-yard day if you combine the rushing and the receiving. You know, Alec Pierce made a few plays as well. Um, so uh, you want, I think, your wideouts to have a little bit of that in them, but you also want them to be as good a teammates as possible. And, and I think Pittman stands for everything that you want off the field. The morning wake-up call with KB and Andy, weekday morning 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. And we've established neither one wash ever during the week before they start the show at 7 a.m. So everybody keep that in mind every time they're wearing a hat. That's their tell, their poker tell, given I'm at Harris Hoosier Park here in uh, Anderson, that they have not washed when they're, they're wearing a hat right there. So, just so you know when you're watching via YouTube Live. Uh, so Jim Irsay sent a late tweet last night in, in typical Jim Mercer fashion, updating everybody on the surgery, the shoulder surgery out in L.A. of Anthony Richardson going well. And, you know, you're not going to say, hey, by the way, that surgery is completely botched and we're screwed. So you would expect him to say that it went well. Um, the other part of it I loved, and here's why. There are times, Kev, and you've covered sports now in this market long enough to understand, while you're not a homer and you're not going to be a homer. Let's just face it. Rarely do you find them. And I know we aren't because I've known you certainly for a long time and you know me. But there are times when the officials cost you a game. And that's what took place on they cost the Colts the game. Now, you can talk about what didn't happen at the end of the half and what Shane Steichen could have done better. There's no doubt. But you had a half of football to make up for that misevaluation, that miscue in coaching. But you didn't have any time basically to make up for the screw job you got with those two flags and certainly the first one in that final sequence down the stretch on Sunday. And I think it's okay on those moments when we judge it, Kev, to come out and say, yeah, you know what? The Colts lost that game because of that call. And I thought Jim Irsay justified that in his own words after hearing from the league office evidently last night. Yeah, I know for a lot of people, you know, hearing from the NFL or, you know, in the NBA's case, right. we're back into the, oh, two-minute reports and all that. It does little to lessen the sting. But in my opinion, the NFL is way too, lacks so much transparency with stuff that, to me, it should be rather obvious. Um, and I, I think the officials in that case, there should be an element of a little bit more public accountability as the game continues to grow. And by that, I mean, you know, fantasy sports and gambling are even more and more prevalent on a, you know, year in year out basis. So, um, you know, the fact that the NFL acts like it's some FBI secret, if they reveal to a team that we missed a call, you literally on the box score that, you know, I have access to after a game, you have access to after a game, it lists the eight officials that were in that game. Um, I see no reason why when you come out a couple of days later that you state, you know, hey, here's a missed call here. You know, this is what we got right in the last couple of minutes. Uh, now, you know, to Ursay's later point in the tweet, um, I, I don't know how you would justify exactly going back and reviewing, you know, a lot of judgment calls. Where's the cutoff yeah. for that? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, it, hey, Kev, yeah. and you can finish. I don't think you can do it. I, and, and that may be what he wants, wants to investigate. I don't think you can do it. I don't think they will ever do it. But go ahead. Yeah, again, you know, Ursay said in the tweet last night, you know, two minutes. Yeah. Well, I mean, what if there's a huge fourth down with 208 to go in the game? I mean, <laughs> yeah. very often there are critical plays right before two-minute right. warning. Uh, I mean, you go back to week three with the Ravens, I think the Ravens would have a similar feeling or have a similar feeling 
over the lack of the EJ speed penalty on Zay Flowers. That was an overtime play. You know, what, what happens when you get into overtime? You know, do all challenges then just go up to the booth? And I do think there's an element of why we like the NFL is, I mean, it is, you know, pretty frequently the one o'clock game is going to end at 401, 402, whatever. You'd be getting into, you know, certainly games that would last a whole lot longer than that. But, you know, when you're in this market and, you know, oftentimes I, you know, I feel like Jim Mercer thinks that, you know, based off the lack of home primetime games his team has gotten uh, over the last, you know, seven to eight years that they he feels neglected and, and kind of wants to speak up. And I got no issue with that at all. Again, I, I feel like the NFL should have a little bit more accountability, even if it does very little to, you know, hurt the, the sting of a loss. And, you know, to the point yeah. of Wednesday evening, you know, you, you just kind of have to move on from it. Um, but still, I, I think the league should try and look at what yeah. the NBA has done. Uh, again, even if it doesn't do a whole lot to your fandom, per se. You know, it's funny about that. I, I think I would disagree. I don't necessarily, and, and maybe it's because I, I, I do make fun of NBA officials all the time. I, I don't know if you, I got a, like a badge that says makes fun of NBA officiating. Uh, that's something I really, truly enjoy. Maybe I should do it more in the circles of the NFL. I can do without what they like to call transparency. I don't even know, Kev, if I need it at all in the NFL. I think what stood out to me more is how a lot of people said, hey, when you're talking about officiating, that's taboo. Don't do it because that makes you a homer. And I just wanted to justify to those who suggested that to me in the past couple of days that this tells you right now, again, as long as Jim Mercer is accurate with that, this tells you that you can lose on one bad call just like that. And when it comes right down to it, that's exactly the call that you lost on on Sunday. And at times, much like Kev, we evaluate the play, the coaching, the personnel decisions, all of that stuff. I think at times when it calls for it, it's just fine to look at that particular call and say, yep, at that moment, in this case, as it did on Sunday, that cost the Colts a game, which it did. Yeah, you know, to me, I've never been a big official guy. Um, I I just haven't, and I certainly realize that they obviously impact the game and can can impact it in a big, big way. I I tend to think you get to the end of the year, and for the most part, it all evens out. Like, again, you go back to that Baltimore game, you know, if they throw that flag, Justin Tucker's in field goal range, and boom, the Ravens probably win that game, and the Colts lose that game, and then vice versa – it plays out how it how it has obviously with the Colts you know getting job on Sunday there late so um, I think the Colts have handled it honestly really really well this week um, I think Shane Steichen has clearly in, in a very Shane Steichen way uh, disagreed with the calls and made that I think pretty darn clear if you watch Shane Steichen press conferences uh, without saying too too much. But yep. him and I would say a lot of the players in the locker room kind of echoed the right message today of. You know, once you get to Wednesday and once you have watched, you know, Philip Walker, you know, whatever, get 67 yards on you before those flags came into play, uh, now you're in a critical stretch of very winnable games. And if you want meaningful games late November, early December, uh, these are games in New Orleans and Carolina and New England that uh, don't really dot the NFL radar uh, league-wide, but they're massive if the Colts you know, want to have meaningful football uh, come late November and into December. Kevin Bowen, the morning wake-up call is KB and Andy. Uh, unfortunately, it's not as Swebo, which I had told everybody in the office, but 
They decided to go with KB and Andy. <laughs> 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. It is a weekday morning. Kevin Bowen joins us. And with that in mind, this is what I, I had just said this past hour, that I so don't want to start the clock on talking about whether or not and debating Anthony Richardson is going to be long-term healthy and durable enough to be the quarterback answer with this team. I, I don't want to start that before we have to. Um, especially since we're in a cold season. So win some games, do some things that are interesting and keep us compelled with the football team. And then if you're the Pacers, move this thing up. All right, so the bar is set higher than it was a year ago, and some are surprised by it. So what? So beyond just me believing this Pacer team is going to win 45 this year, and I think that's a pretty high bar considering they won 35 a year ago, Hey, keep us compelled to talk about them through winning and not having to go to a spot where we ultimately will have to during the Colts offseason, but I don't want to during the season. And bring back some winning here. That's all kind of resting on the shoulders to start the season tonight of this Indiana Pacers season to me. What say you? It's funny. I was talking to Andy about it earlier today of, you know, I'm not a JMV must-win guy, but, boy, couldn't the city really use, like, a convincing Pacers win tonight for, like, the next 48 hours? The Pacers don't play again until Saturday. Uh, you've just dealt with quite the week of Colts kicking the you-know-what with the Richardson news, the Grover Stewart news, uh, obviously how Sunday played out and the one-point lost and, and the officiating, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I do think there's an element of – kind of the time is now to start winning. And, and tonight is opening night, and I think the full ex- – I will be disappointed at the end of the year if the Pacers have not played a playoff game um, and not been, in my opinion, I think a five or six seed, uh, 45 wins, I think, uh, to me, is is a really good ballpark. Uh, unless a major Tyrese Halliburton injury were to occur, to me that seems very realistic and, and needed and necessary. You know, it's a franchise that – you know, for so much of my life, John, I've just been used to the Pacers are in the playoffs. The Pacers are in the playoffs, and um, they have a team that could make a run. And, and, you know, different iterations of that, if you want to look at the Reggie teams, or the Jermaine O'Neal teams, or the Paul George teams, you know, for the larger part of the last three decades, they've been that. But recently, that's that's not been the case at all. I mean, you know, they haven't won a playoff game in six years. That is a long drought for this franchise uh, 10 years without you know winning a playoff series if you want to go back that far I mean that is a long long time and so to me it, it's a group that doesn't have a lot of meaningful April May basketball in them uh, it's been quite a while since Miles Turner's experienced that Buddy Heels never been in a playoff game I mean Tyrese Halliburton I was looking up the other day you got to go back to his freshman year at Iowa State the last time he's been on a team that's finished better than eight games under 500, eight games under 500, not even 500 or better. So uh, I think for all parties involved, whether it's what the fans deserve, uh, whether, you know, it's what Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carlisle, who hasn't won a playoff series in a decade, like what, what he needs, what they need. And then just for this group to start to, you know, grow, obviously you're still building this thing and there's going to be tweaks and alterations to it all. Um, you know, here in the next couple of years, and by no means is this some finished all-in product, but it's time for them to get used to, all right, this is what playoff basketball feels like. Because I would argue 
that of all the professional sports leagues, I, I, I would think just what the playoffs feel like for the NBA can be so much different than the regular season when, you know, you do get a lot of resting and there is a lot of back-to-backs and it just feels different. A, a Tuesday night game is totally different than what the playoffs feel like. So I think it's paramount for this rebuild to, to get to being in the postseason. All right, let me double back here because evidently Swebo has worn off in a good way here because you're finally on board with me. Kev, be honest, you now recognize, don't you, that it doesn't take mathematics or to be mathematically eliminated or some nerd with a calculator to recognize, in this case, that some games, regardless of where they are on the schedule, are more meaningful than others, thus must-win situations. So you just described to me that tonight's game to start the season, an NBA game in October, is must win. That justifies what I've been talking about now for years. And I'm glad <laughs> you as a part of Sweebo was finally on board with that. Somebody's recognizing what is real, and that's real. I don't know if I sign off on, on, on how you uh, – Oh, don't double back now. I, no backpedaling here, sir. No, 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 I no. think we all – we all need it. If we do want to get in technicalities and this is the nerd in me coming out, um, Saturday night, central division, Cleveland means more than tonight, whatever Atlantic division, whatever hell division they are in the Washington wizards. But again, having said that um, seven of nine at home to open up the year. And I, I would say more for general psyche. I mean, we had Rick Carlisle on yesterday. He was acting like the Washington wizards were the 76 Indiana Hoosiers. I mean, it was, it was quite the uh, quite the praise that he was heaping out there for the Wizards. He talked about Mike Muscala like he was Larry Bird. So, uh, obviously the Pacers, and if they listen to their head coach, they won't take Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma chucking it up 60 times too, too lightly. So, very, uh, very important and uh, would be great, again, for the city and for the team if they could get this one tonight. I, I don't know if I'm ready to entrench the, the JMV stamp of approval must win on it, though. I think it's a little bit too late to try to talk your way out of it because you've done it. <laughs> so, uh, Kevin Bowen is a part to my parents right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they know. If they're listening right now, they know. I mean, Max and Rosie, if they're listening and have any idea what in the world we're – although I'm assuming that – is Rosie allowed to listen to you come on my show in the car? Because sometimes we get into some weird stuff. I've often wondered yeah. that. Do I run your family think, members away? I, I think Maddie is censored five o'clock on Wednesday from <laughs> from, from the radio. Young, I don't know if that makes me radio. feel bad or good. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's, uh, Kevin Bowen, the morning wake up call is KB and Andy, seven until ten a.m. weekday mornings here. Uh, on the fan, I, I said 45. I think you're in the same neighborhood here as as 45, which means I think we got to. I'm assuming if if you think they're going to be in the top six somewhere here with this, um, I don't know if that's where you think they are. You'll have to kick somebody of that hierarchy out. Uh, who do you think that is? I was talking to Evan Sidery a little bit earlier. He thinks maybe that's going to end up being Philadelphia. I, I I just think the the addition by subtraction in this case with the jackass not playing, not showing up, whatever is going to be better for them than the jackass absolutely being there. Um, who, who do you kick out of that that top six in terms of where do you think the Pacers, how many they're going to win and how they may – do you think they're seventh? Are they sixth? Where are they at the end of the season to you? 
Yeah, to me, they are five or six right in there. Uh, obviously, Boston-Milwaukee speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Brooklyn was this, wasn't Brooklyn in the top six last year after the trade? Oh, oh, they may have been. They might have to look that up. Why do I want to think that they were in the playing game? But I, I, maybe a playing game. I don't think they were. I think you're right, Kev. I'll go with that. For some reason, I'm thinking it was like Atlanta, Miami. I don't know. Chicago, I would look Toronto, it up, but I'm leaning like back that, but... right now. I'm leaning back and comfortable. <laughs> I would look it up. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a believer. Um, you know, obviously Philly, who you bring up, um, that is a little bit more of a prove it yeah. to me. But again, I, I would say Brooklyn would be out. I, I don't know. I'm still not all there with the Knicks. I, I just maybe it, it, it's too ugly looking at times. It's too throwback looking at times with Thibodeau and that group. Um, for me to kind of be there with them. So uh, I'm not ready to say that. And, you know, I, I think Cleveland has a lot of really good individual talent, but um, I don't think that's like a slam, slam dunk. I mean, I, again, outside of Boston and Milwaukee, I just don't think you, you know, put anybody else into that top six and say there's no questions asked. I mean, who knows, obviously, with Philadelphia, as you said, uh, Cleveland to me, uh, not ready to say that in New York and Brooklyn, I would say are very much up in the air. Now, I mean, again, you've got Miami that was in the play-in last year, and you know, are they going to be more of a regular season yep. team? Um, Atlanta obviously made a coaching change late in the year. You know, they they certainly have some talent, but I mean, this team uh, amidst all of that, amidst a very deep Eastern Conference last year when Halliburton was healthy, I mean, you you were there, you were in that range, and Kristen Ari and I were actually trading a few texts earlier today. I I think it. I think we realize how important Tyrese Halliburton is, but I, I don't know if maybe the national landscape of the NBA realizes just how valuable and, and good he is to the Pacers. Like, you literally, night in, night out, pencil this dude in for 20 points, 10 assists, and he shoots like 40% from the field. I mean, like, those are very rare numbers in the NBA. And so that's why I get back to the, like, you need him. He cannot get hurt because we saw last year when he got hurt, and there were other guys that weren't playing either. But when he got hurt, I mean, you you weren't just losing. You were losing by double figures, 20 points quite often. So, you know, that is obviously something that, you know, is a huge storyline just to keep him as healthy as possible. Uh, but I still believe, based off what they've done this offseason and the pieces that they bring back, um, to me, a five or six seed is definitely attainable. Uh, and, and you were right. Sixth is what the finish was for Brooklyn in the East. And when you reference the Knicks, I mean, there's no doubt they have talent, but we have seen in the past Tom Thibodeau has a shelf life. I mean, he'll wear some dudes out. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen this year. Maybe it won't happen in New York, but certainly in the past we have, have seen that. I, I just hope for our sake in this case – uh, we are not overestimating, you know, this team. And, you know, and maybe in my – I talk about this all the time. I just want to see – I want to see somebody win around here. I want to see somebody win, consistently win, and give people a reason to get longer-term excited about something in a fashion, Kev, that is all too unfamiliar in recent history with really anything around here. It's always been something good followed by a couple of things of something bad and I think the Pacers have that opportunity. I just hope we're not overestimating just type of the impact they're going to have on this season. So that's a little yeah. bit of a question I have. 
And, and, you know, Halliburton talked about it yesterday, kind of welcoming the expectations. I mean, certainly this time last year, and Tyree said it, I thought, pretty accurately. If you and I had a conversation on the eve of the season last year, we weren't talking about playoffs at all. And and now we are. And so, like, how do you handle a little bit more of a bullseye? I mean, you still kind of had a hanging Miles Turner cloud over the season. I don't think the Buddy Heald cloud is going to impact things too, too much. Um, And obviously, Turner played great. And, you know, you retain so much from last year. I mean, you're losing a what? An O'Shaper set. I'm trying to think of like, you know, pieces that you've lost. And um, I think it's George very Hill. deep. Yeah, yeah. You know, George Hill and James Johnson. I mean, like when you yeah. talk about the 82 game season and how oftentimes I find myself just saying, man, over the course of the season, you got to rely on some depth. I mean, I look at this Pacers team, John, there's going to have four or five guys that don't get in the game tonight that, at different points in the season, it's going to be like, wait, that dude can't get minutes. I mean, tonight, like, if you base it off the preseason, Jarris Walker's not in the rotation. Yeah, Jordan Wara is not in the rotation. Daniel Tice is not in the rotation. Isaiah Jackson. I mean, at different points, I mean, Jackson and Wara last year were, like, <laughs> the number three or four options in certain games or playing really meaningful minutes. So, um, I really like their depth, and I think when you're playing back-to-backs, when you're playing, you know, three out of four, four out of five, that's going to come in handy. So I think those are some other reasons why. You know, once you get in the playoffs, I don't know how much depth can really matter, but, you know, getting to a great record and getting to, you know, nice seating and, and, and you know, one through eight standings, depth is important. And I haven't, I can't tell you last time I've seen a Pacers team that has this, this much depth. It's the non-washed morning wake-up call, Monday through Friday. That's weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Non-washed as they start at 7 a.m. coming up tomorrow morning with a full recap on night number one for the Pacers at Cambridge Fieldhouse versus the Wizards. That's part of it. KB, Kevin Bowen, and Andy Sweeney, the other part here. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Enjoy that game tonight, and I'll talk to you on Sunday, I think, on the ride to kickoff at about 9.03. 35-minute shower. That is, wow. That oh, is man. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm cleaning. You don't even want me. I'm cleaning all the crevices, Kev. Yeah, I got See, you. that's another I reason why yeah. Ma- that's why Maddie's banned, banned the radio from being on <laughs> during this time. Right. My bad. Sorry. 5.30. Yeah, yeah, no, I blame you, though. On. I blame you. You bring it back, and you know I still had some meat on that bone, and you brought it back. <laughs> you knew exactly what you were getting into, Kevin. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I mean, it was sitting there on a tee. I had to. <laughs> Talk to you later, buddy. Have a good one. <laughs> See you, uh, Kevin Bowen on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group hotline and his wife not listening. Hey, fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy it floors to your home. Right, Brian Kahn? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just 80 cents a square foot. 80 cents a square foot, that's incredible. That's three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof starting under $350 at Floors to Your Home. And you can get it right now. We have over 1,200 styles in stock. Floors to Your Home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in Indiana. I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations. Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floors to Your Home. That's who.